You know, uh, Walt and I are, are prepping to go to, to India in a few weeks, and so this morning I'm giving one of the 20-minute lessons, which is actually a 40-minute lesson there, because when I give it here, it will last roughly 20 minutes, we'll find out. But there it gets to translated, so it takes 40 minutes to give the 20-minute lesson is where that's going. But I just want to share briefly my, my history in, in missions. So years ago, when I was going to college, I felt God called me to go to Germany for the summer. And I spent the summer in a little town called Zeheim, Germany, under Greater Europe Mission. The experience there, uh, Walt has told me a couple times that this trip to India will change me. I can absolutely tell you my trip to Germany changed me. I remember having, there we didn't spend just a week or two, we spent eight weeks. And mostly we were involved in uh, maintenance of the uh, Bible school there. We fixed up rooms, we worked on the property. Um, we interacted a lot with some with the little people. I knew a little bit of German. But one of the, as I left, there were these two guys. They were farmers. They farmed all sorts of places around this little town. And so we didn't know, we never met them, but we'd seen them a number of times. And on the way out, I saw them mowing a field for hay, and I began to cry. Because I recognized that if those two guys ever said, hey, I want to know something about Jesus, if the school wasn't there, there was no place for them to learn. It just wasn't there. I was just in America, there's churches all over the place that they could find. It just wasn't there. And I remember crying for those two guys. So yeah, it changed me. Um, came home, I was here for a long period of time, you know, finally said, hey, I'm going to take another trip. And so in 2010, I signed up to go to Haiti. And as I was packing, I remember I got my suitcase out, put it in my office to start packing. And I heard the news report that Haiti had just been hit with an earthquake of 7.9 or 8.0, and I went, I think my trip's been canceled. But sure enough, a few weeks later, I get the call, are you ready to go? So I was in Haiti six weeks after the earthquake. And it was a good time. It was something to see a place that was that desolate. It was already the, economically the worst place in the Western Hemisphere. Then for them to get hit with an earthquake like that, it was horrible. Like, you know, I went through and experienced that. But as I was there, I went, this isn't where I don't see myself coming back. I don't think God has me here. Then later on, I committed to go to Bulgaria with uh, the Stoimanovs. And so, of course, you know, I went there five different times because to me, to go, for me, it, I didn't want to go one time for one little week. I really want to, to have an impact. I need to get to know the kids a little bit. Unfortunately, I don't speak Bulgarian, and I'm lousy with languages. I remember on the first trip, um, Frank and Jan and anyway, several of us were, were there, and we said, you know what? We're not a Pentecostal church, but God gives me the gift of tongues to speak with these kids. I'm good with that. Uh, never did, and that's just not an area of strength for me. Uh, so communicating has always been tough, but every time I've gone, it's been you know, working with kids that I can't talk to, playing with them, working on f the physical structure. And then Walt says, hey, Paul, I want you to go and set up these lesson plans to teach 100 pastors. 
there's a world of difference. And my first response was, excuse me? No, I'm the wrong person. If you want, maybe I should go and be taught by them. Maybe I know more about the Bible, but by their experience, they've gone through some things that I can't even think of going through. I need to learn from them. And he was persistent. I said, all right, let me, let me go before the Lord again. And uh, so spent some time praying and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And started taking some counsel. And one of them was probably the most influential one was from Nathaniel. Figure I put enough into the kid, I'll get something back from him. And uh, he said, Paul, if you don't feel comfortable with what you're teaching, you shouldn't go, but see what you feel comfortable with. And so I went back to Walt and I said, okay, here's the deal. If you, you have this thing where you want these pastors, these village pastors, little dinky churches that have to walk for hours to get to this conference we're going to be teaching, um, if you teach them, you want them to go out and evangelize that part of India. I said, that, that's not my thing. But if you want me to teach what we call on a micro level, things that apply both to evangelism and to their church life, I can do that. And so that's what I'm putting lesson plans together. So I currently have one on um, 2 Corinthians. Now I can't think of it. <laughs> um, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And part of that is a self-application, is that I do not feel strong in this, so therefore God has to work through me. Um, and so encouraging them to do the same thing as they put together teams and where they don't feel weak to allow God to work through those things and not on themselves. So that's one. I'm working on my third lesson plan. I'm not, hasn't gelled yet. Then today's is actually on grace and truth, which if you go back to the COVID days, we, we were meeting out back. I actually gave this message. This has been revamped. Um, and that's... Uh, so I'm going to give that now, but that's kind of a history of where I've been with it and what I'm doing and where I'm going. And, but let's pray. Lord God, you're good. And as the songs were saying today, Lord, that you know, you're, you're good, you won't fail us. And as we, uh, as we consider your word and your love and your grace, Lord, help us to always keep focused on you. Help us to always, Lord, be waiting on you and to be paying attention to your ways and to your spirit. May we act, Lord, accordingly with your love and your grace and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. A little thing, normally when I speak, I come up here with an outline. I don't normally read my messages, but today's is written out, so I, a little bit different how I present it, but... In John 1.14, also there's no video, or there's no, nothing on the screen, because in India, I won't have that. <laughs> I don't think I will, will I? No, no I didn't think so. In John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word was Jesus sent from God and the Father to us to live in bodily form among the people of earth. The fact that he chose to come in this fashion shows a God who loves us so much 
and he humbled himself, leaving the glory of heaven to live on earth. An earth that is dirty, full of hate, selfishness, it's uncomfortable, painful, going the wrong way, and in defiance of its creator. God had many options. He could have come to earth in his full glory and showing every bit of his power. He could have stopped every man and woman in their activities, showing each of them how wrong and sinful they are and deserving of punishment. He could have exposed everything, causing fear in every soul. He could have demanded the truth with no mercy. Mankind would have no place to hide. They would have to stand before God, spiritually naked, full of nothing but shame. But he didn't do that. Or he could have come to earth with nothing but grace. We like grace. So, you know, we always want to hear the truth about other people, but grace for ourselves. That's the normal pattern. We don't, we don't, we don't want to know the truth about ourselves. But He could have come to earth with nothing but grace and no truth. He could have walked on earth, seen all the sin and rebellion, and said, that's okay, I will wait for you to stop. Or... Do what your heart tells you to do. Expressing nothing but grace, he would have shown them the right way to live while ignoring their need, our need, for a Savior. Knowing that they have a sin nature, he would not make them face the consequences and punishment. Humankind would not know it falls short of the purpose it was made for. The people might feel good about themselves, but they would be empty and on the path to death. Jesus did neither of these options. He came in both grace and truth. The Apostle John restates it in verse 16 and 17 when he says, For from the fullness we have all received, grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came together. Having one without the other does not help us. We need both. And the world needs to see and hear both from us. As a farmer plows the soil so he can plant the seed, so grace plows the soil so that we can plant the seed of who God is, what he demands, and what he offers. Let's compare grace and truth. Grace involves his mercy, the offer of forgiveness, and love. Jesus shared both grace and truth. Jesus lived out grace and truth. We should share both grace and truth. We should live out both grace and truth. Now, God started off with grace. He asked some questions. He gave them opportunities. To, excuse me. I missed a paragraph. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had just sinned. They knew what God had told them, and they did the opposite. God came down in grace and truth to confront them. So listen to what God did. He started off with grace. He asked them questions. He gave them opportunities to confess what they had done wrong, while God was graciously pursuing the truth. They were hiding from it. God stretched out his grace during this talk until finally he pronounced his judgment, the truth part. That judgment included punishment, but also the plan for their forgiveness which he would personally pay the price for. They understood the punishment, but there was hope because it was given in grace. 
John shares the story about Jesus meeting a woman at a well. She did not live a moral life. He knew her story before he, she got there. He could have started listing all her sins and condemning her. He could have pronounced her deserving judgment and demand her repentance. That was his right. Instead, he turned the soil of her mind by starting a conversation. John 4, 7, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or I have to come to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, um, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. The story goes on. But Jesus granted grace to her before he announced that he knew her sinful life. He started a discussion that made her curious. He did not come to her in a judgeful way. At the same time, he did not ignore her sin. He gave her truth and he gave her grace together. To stay alive, we need to consume both food and water. If all we did was eat food and not drink water, we would not last long. Yes, we, all, we would all have all nutrients of the food, but the body would not be able to make them work. If all we had was water, the body would run out of the nutrients to live on. We need both food and water. We need both truth and grace. Actually, as it's recorded by it actually says grace and then truth. And I wonder if John had a reason for putting grace before truth, but that's for other people to discuss. Then in John chapter 8, Jesus encountered another situation where the leaders brought an, adult an adulterous woman before him to see how he would react. Jesus knew they were trying to trick him. The woman had been caught in adultery, and the law of Moses said the punishment was death. Note that the men did not bring the man whom she had sinned with before him. Jesus' response was to address the leaders by saying, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus did not ignore the truth about the sin of either the man or her accusers, but he added grace. Of course, the leaders knew they were wrong and walked away. After the accusers left, Jesus turns to the woman and says, Go and sin no more. He addressed the truth of all involved, but he wrapped it in grace. Jesus lived a sinless life, yet he poured out grace for those who came in contact with. We are not sinless. 
It is not our role to condemn the sin of the world, but to explain it to them. They do not know God. They do not know what sin is. They do not understand the consequences. They do not, assume they do not know their value before their creator. We need to share these things wrapped in grace so that they will listen. When the Apostle Paul went to Athens, he noticed a great number of idols that the people worshipped. He did not condemn them for their idol worship, but he found a bridge between what they believed and what God wanted them to hear. He talked about their idol to an unknown God and explained that Jesus was that one and they needed to repent before him. Paul did not tear them down, but he graciously explained the truth. Some accepted his teaching. Others thought him to be a fool, but the message was presented in both grace and truth. Always speak the truth. Never hold back. However, we may present it However, how we present it may determine whether or not the other person will listen to it. The truth about our universal failure to please God can be harsh, and the hearer can react against it. If we love them, regardless of what they have done or believe, we want them to understand the truth. Therefore, we present it in a way that they will want to listen. Jesus spoke in parables. Some were easy to understand, and some were hard to understand but the people listened. He illustrated truths about their condition with common things around them, farming, fishing, losing a coin, finding a sheep, and many more. Let's look at one. Let's talk about the Good Samaritan. Jesus said to the people, love your neighbor. That was the truth everyone needed to hear. Those listening did not want to love everyone, so they asked him, who is my neighbor? Jesus could have rebuked them and said, your hearts are cold, quit being selfish, and love everybody. Instead, he told the story of a man who had been beat up by thieves and left on the roadside. Two religious leaders who should have helped him <clears throat> went on their way. But a Samaritan, one who was lower in society, stopped and helped him. This is how Jesus explained who we should love. I am sure that many of those listening to the story did not like it. They did not want the truth. But Jesus presented it in grace and truth so that people listened. We should never dilute the truth. The truth about who Jesus is and what we stand on. It is what they need to hear. It is the purpose of our lives, mine and yours. But that truth is that God is love. Love defines who God is. In that love, God has allowed humankind to choose. The evil one does his best to blind the world from the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. The world does not understand truth and grace. We need to explain it to them and live it before them. We need to find ways to explain to them who God is in a way that they will listen. It may be illustrations, like what Jesus did so many times. It may be an act of kindness and sacrifice. It may be living a life of love and unselfishness that makes them ask why we live the way we do. Let's find ways to share grace and truth together to a world that needs it badly. So that is my lesson. Double it in time because there's going to be someone next to me translating line by line. 
In fact, some of my sentences I've intentionally tried to keep short or phrases so that I can say a phrase and he can say a phrase. It will be, it'll be a new experience for me. So uh, after, after that's done, we'll be hand, they'll um, be going into groups of like 10 and they'll get a set of questions. Um, questions that I have, I don't know if you've seen them or not, but what inter- interested you in the gospel when you first heard it, the truth of Jesus Christ or the love of someone who shared it with you? Um, how would someone respond to hearing truth when there's very little grace? How, what would be the value of presenting lots of grace and love but not sharing the truth? Different questions like that for them to talk about. But now, Walt's going to come up and, and share more about the trip itself. I couldn't help but be thinking of that verse uh, in the Gospel of John, and many of you know what that verse is, as Paul was talking about grace and truth. And, uh, and two verses came to my mind, actually, uh, where uh, one is from Corinthians that says, uh, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. And then in John, I was thinking about Paul, I was thinking about how... Uh, uh, you know that uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? Set you free. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, I'm, I'm excited about going with Paul uh, to India. Uh, truly an answer to prayer. And, uh, and I believe that uh, one of the things that I feel is so important to teach on is prayer itself. And so uh, one of my lessons will be on prayer, specifically the prayer of a righteous uh, child of God. And so uh, we're about to go on this pretty long trip you know, it's about 18 hours, actually 20 hours where we're going from, of three flights, and uh, we'll be tired, but hitting the ground, running, so to speak, when we get there. Uh, I feel sorry for my grandson who's going with us, because he's going to be hitting the ground and hitting the soccer balls in the afternoon with a youth outreach. <laughs> so, uh, but he's very, very excited. You can get very, uh, very uh, filled with anxiety when you go on a trip like this. There's so many things that, that you can uh, have that comes to your mind and to your heart. And, but you know, before we do anything else, let's just stop for a moment. Let's just pray and ask God to, just to bless this time, okay? Let's, Lord, thank you. Thank you for these dear brothers and sisters and Lord, uh, yes, Lord, we, we love you so much and ask uh, that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so as we get anxious in our hearts, 
we, we become filled with what I call the what-ifs, you know, the what-ifs of our lives, you know. What if my uh, health goes bad, you know, and uh, what, if, uh, what if I run out of energy? What if I miscalculated and didn't take enough money with me? And, and as you get closer and closer and closer to the time going, you're always asking yourself, oh, I hope, what about that? I hope this is covered and these things are covered. But the truth of the matter is that we need to stay focused on him. So how do you stay focused on him? And uh, how do we stay right with God? And uh, in James 5.16, we're, we're told that the, uh, the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much or accomplishes much. So the call is for all of us, those that are praying for us as well as for the team itself, Paul and I and, and Jay, my grandson, is to say, right with God. So, and the way you do that, of course, is by, uh, through his righteousness, is at, at work in us. So, what is righteousness? How would you describe righteousness? Righteousness is the character or the quality of being made right or just uh, before God. A righteous man or woman has truly put his faith in the living God. Uh, we're told in Philippians 3.9 that righteousness comes from God through faith. And I think m many of us are familiar with Hebrews 11.6 where it says that without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. That he who comes to God must what? Believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who sit around all day doing nothing. Oh, no, I got the wrong verse. No. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so uh, that's a definition for righteousness. A righteous Christian is one who has been made right with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, uh, this, he made him who knew no sin to become sin to us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, God's righteousness is imputed uh, unto us. Uh, it took a holy, sinless God, his blood, to pay the price for your sins uh, and mine. The scripture says this, that God uh, hears the man, uh, hears the prayers, excuse me, of the man who trusts in him. The one who is standing right before God. And there was a, an, uh, a theologian back in uh, the 1600s. His name was uh, Thomas Lye. And he said this, I had rather stand against the canons of the wicked than against the prayers of the righteous. Epaphras was a righteous man. The scripture says that uh, very uh, little about him, not too many passages, 
Well, he wasn't necessarily a famous man or a renowned. Uh, he wasn't necessarily a man of, a, of great uh, ability. But Epaphras had a reputation. And that reputation was built around the fact that he was a man of prayer. He was a righteous man. In Colossians 4.12, we're told this about Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all of the will of God. Epaphras was one who was very close to God. He was, he was right with God. So what are the characteristics that are mentioned right there? First, we see that uh, Epaphras was a man who uh, knew God, but he also served God. He was what we call a, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, one who gave his life, if you would, for the glory of God. He served his master with all his heart, all his mind, and with all his soul. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. Epaphras was right with God. Epaphras was also uh, a man, just like uh, God wants us to be men and women, who obeyed God with that submissive heart. Uh, and again, he's called a bond slave and never, leave, uh, never trying to please himself, but always trying to please his master. You know, it, it didn't matter really what he thought. What mattered is what, what does his master want him to do. And then lastly, uh, he's a man, a woman, a uh, uh, is a man of God, a woman of God, uh, like Epaphras was, who had a reputation of, he really labored for the saints in prayer. That word labor is intense, and, and that, that means, uh, that implies the willingness of Epaphras to consistently pour out his heart to God for the saints. So it wasn't this kind of prayer, okay, Lord, I pray for Paul. I, you know, I, I pray for Jay. I pray for Walt. Keep them safe. See you later. No. He labored in prayer. He would spend hours in prayer. And, uh, and, and, and he was uh, definitely uh, a man, a man uh, after God's own heart. But he wasn't the only one in, in the New Testament that labored in prayer. Paul knew what it meant to, to labor. Labor can actually mean suffering as well. You know, the, the depths of labor can result in suffering. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I have spent in a deep. I have been in labor and hardship 
many sleepless nights in hunger, in thirst, often without food, in cold, and in exposure. Paul knew what it meant to labor in prayer. And it's no accident, really, that every uh, one of his letters that he wrote to uh, the church, that he always, he always begins with some kind of uh, encouragement or excitation about prayer. Paul was a righteous man who uh, labored in his prayers. And so, back to Epaphras, he knew, he knew the Lord, he obeyed God with a submissive heart, and was a, a prayer warrior in the army of God. And as Paul writes this letter, he tells uh, us the character of a man or a woman committed to God. What does such a man, uh, uh, how, excuse me, what does such a man pray for as he pours his heart out to God. What did Paul in Epaphras pray for? In a, a scripture I'm going to have you turn to in just a second. And how are you uh, willing to ask God for prayer as we go to India? What should we be asking you? And what are we asking you? What I'd like you to do, uh, either on your phone or uh, if you have a Bible with you, on your, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. Just turn there for a second. And this tells us uh, so well how we want you to pray for us. It says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So this is how you can pray for us. That the scripture I read is, is, is so compact. So many things you can pray for. But here's how you can pray for us. The first thing is this. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Verse 9 says, the first part of that verse, we have not ceased to pray for you. First uh, Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And, and this is how Epaphras, Paul, and, and the rest of the saints in the early church, they really prayed. They, they trusted God and they took seriously what prayer really was. Secondly, uh, pray that we will all seek God's wisdom in all that we say and do. Pray that uh, you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
Then also pray that we will seek God's strength to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It says here in, uh, uh, in that next verse, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and pleasing him in all respects. I love what James says, chapter 1, verse, uh, first couple of verses says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And then it goes on. So we want to be doers of the word as we go. We don't want to just talk about it. We don't expect uh, this to happen or expect that to happen. All we want to do is say, Lord, here I am. Whatever it, you want me to do, use me for your glory. The next thing we see here is that uh, we want to pray for fruit that remains in every good work and more knowledge, more knowledge, more understanding of what God wants us to do. You know, and I, I like uh, in, in the Colossians, it says, bearing fruit in every good season and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, and James, uh, excuse me, John 15, 8 says this, My Father is glorified by this. How? That you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Yeah. And a couple other things you can pray about for us. Pray for us that we may seek God's face in providing, as he provides that strength and power to exemplify steadfastness and patience in our lives. Colossians 1.11 says that. And Colossians 1.12, the first part of that verse says, pray that even in the midst of a horrific schedule that we will joyously give praise and thanks to God for the salvation that we have. So don't, uh, you know, we, we are so thankful, you know, and it's so easy when you're tired to forget about what's going on. So pray that God gives us that inner strength that, and that joy in our lives, despite... You know, maybe we might be lagging physically, but we, we don't want to lag spiritually. And last, uh, it says, uh, certainly not least, it says, pray that all our prayers are cemented in God's faithfulness. Several places in there are mentions in, a, in, in, that, the, in Colossians. Some of you may have heard of George Mueller. George Mueller was, uh, he was born in uh, Prussia on September 27, 1805. His father was a collector of taxes, and George seemed to inherit his father's ability with figures. And when Mueller was converted to Christ, he was impressed with how many times Jesus said, for us to ask. And at this point in Mueller's life, he and his wife launched into a daring experiment. First, they gave away all their household goods. Next, uh, he, 
even more daring, he refused all regular salary from the small mission that, that he uh, was a part of. And that, and that mission was to, uh, was to uh, provide food, shelter, nurture, and mostly Jesus to homeless children in England. The first home was ded dedicated in a rented building on April 21st, 1836. And within a, a matter of days, 43 orphans were, uh, were, were being cared for. And uh, I remember reading how they would be sitting around the table and with no food, sitting around the table, and they get a knock on the door. And they open the door, there be bags of food right there at the door. And so uh, the public was amazed when a second building was opened six months after the first building. They kept concentrating on one thing, prayer. And eventually there was five new buildings 110 workers and 2,050 orphans that were being cared for. And for over 60 years, Mueller recorded every specific prayer request and the results. Mueller was responsible for the care of, listen, 9,500 orphans during his life. These children never went without a meal. Mueller never asked for help from anyone but God. Over his lifetime, the Lord blessed with over $7,500,000. And over the course of his life, he, uh, uh, he's seen so many, so many of, of these children who grew in the grace and the admonition of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they would come back and they would visit him in his later years. And who knows how many God was using, uh, uh, how many of them God was using in different ways. And he attributed it to one thing, one thing, prayer, the power of prayer. And so as we, uh, as we have the privilege of, of going on this trip, we are so blessed and had to say to you, thank you. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of representing you. And I would say this, that if you don't do anything else but pray with a heart that's right before God, pray, 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 pray. God will bless. There's no doubt about that. God's going to bless this trip. And I want to thank you in advance for the privilege that we all have in lifting each other up in prayer. We'll, we'll try our best to stay in communication, send out a couple of emails so you know how to pray. And, uh, but 
We'll be gone from uh, March the 21st through March the 30th. And uh, very thankful for, for that opportunity. And so I uh, want to invite you to come to the luncheon right after we have our family meeting in a minute here. Uh, and I just want to uh, just ask you to pray for us. Pray. It, it's, it's the power of prayer that does it. God can use you on his trip as much as he uses us. So let's just pray together right now. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful, Lord. It's, a, it's not a burden to serve you, Lord. It's a blessing. Oh, God, we're filled. Lord, we're filled with the hearts that have have great gratitude, Lord, for all you have done, all you continue to do. Lord, build your church in India, I pray. We'll be careful to give you all the praise, all the glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.